It was uh, interesting as I was uh, away this past, well, how long has it been? Uh, forever. <laughs> I'm not too sure forever, maybe so, right? Uh, I know I went to Cheyenne, Estes, L.A., so those are the three places I went. Um, and, and in L.A., um, we did something that, at least for us in the Brethren Church, I know for us as a West region, we have never done before. And that is we got to ordain um, our first truly um, Hispanic pastor who took, uh, for the very first time that we've ever offered it, a bilingual track to ordination. Eleven years it took us to get him through this thing. And it's not his fault. It was ours. Eleven years. That's too long. Um, we as brethren are wonderful but there's one thing as brethren we are, we are really, really good at, and that is going very slow. It just took a long time. And so it was great to be there at the service. And I've never been in a service where I had to have my message translated. So I would speak, and then the, the, the person next to me who I knew, he would translate for me in Spanish so that the congregation could understand what was going on. And what was so great, my, and it was a, it was a good service, um, and then what was great afterwards was the reception afterwards for a Hispanic congregation. We had Thai food <laughs> for, and then, but what was really good is they went to a Cuban bakery, um, for dessert and I had tres leche cake. Oh, see those of you who, who've had, you know what I'm, you know that of which I speak. I've never had it before. Um, it was, oh, decadent. If I can just say that it was decadent. I mean, um, they had mango cake, which I looked at that and said, no, <laughs> no, mango is great, but cake is in cake is not my thing. And sure enough, one of our guys took it. He's like, oh, and then I said, I don't know what th- this is delicious. He took a little bite of my- that's trace leche cake. And I said, okay, delicious raspberry, strawberries, the whole, th- I mean, beautiful, but more importantly, Justo Flores, that's his name, he got ordained, and he gets to go to general conference next week, now as a fellow elder in the Brethren Church, and that was just a beautiful, beautiful thing. Finally, we are being able to respond, at least out here in the West, because the Northeast and the Midwest, they don't have the kind of dynamics we have. It's like, hey guys, there's a lot of Spanish-speaking people out here who want to do ministry and who want to be a part of our movement, and we got to have a place for them to be able to serve and to be able to be ordained, and finally... Um, that was able to happen. So that was truly phenomenal. Um, so anyways, um, I want to, as we continue in our series this morning, remember we are going through this series um, called I Am, and we have been kind of methodically almost, if you will, working through all of, uh, at least a snippet of these I Am statements. And remember, as I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, uh, if we were to spend uh, and go through all the I am statements in scripture, we would need more than a year. We would probably need at least two years to accomplish, to go through all of the I am statements that are in scripture about who we are in Jesus Christ, which is just a beautiful thing. Um, and I was just reminded about who my identity is and why we are taking this time this year to really go through all of who we are, or at least learn a little bit of who we are in Jesus Christ, because it is so important, I think, for us to root our identity in Jesus Christ. Because if we do not, we will root our identity in someone else or in something else. And that's just how it is. We will root our identity in those things or in those people. Um, two days ago, 
I happened to be on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. I've never been there before. And so I was walking along the Hollywood Walk of Fame. We've got all the stars there and all the people there and went to the Chinese theater and all this kind of stuff. And it was really interesting there is that there was an enormous building, beautiful building, and it was a Scientology building. I mean, it was, it was very, very interesting. I mean, and, and, and just understanding that that is a different, you know, we, we have our perspective of that, right? I'm sure we all do. Um, I have definitely have a perspective of that, but people are rooting their identity in, in things like that. They're rooting their identity in, in things like, um, who they are and by what they have. They're rooting their, I mean, it is an incredibly, um, it is an incredibly interesting place to be down there. Incredibly interesting place to see that. One person remarked in our group and said, isn't it ironic that there's a Scientology building over there and across the street, there is a, um, basically, um, a magician, not real shop right there, right? Not by chance, right? Kind of thing. Um, it's, it's a real thing. If you ask people who they are, listen to how they identify themselves. Most of the time, I think many people, if you ask them who they are, they will tell you what they do. They will tell you what they do. Because in many ways, what we do defines, because it takes up so much of our time right? If you, th- if you think about it, how much time do we spend at work? How much time do we spend in our jobs? No wonder that we, oftentimes we associate our identity with what we do. And that's why in some ways it can be so devastating when all of a sudden we're out of a job. It isn't just simply a loss of income. It isn't simply just loss of something to do. It is in some ways a loss of an identity of which we have kind of in some ways wrapped ourselves around. And so this, this kind of thing is very real is that how we identify ourselves oftentimes gives us the perspective of how we not only view ourselves, but how we view others also around us. Because if we view ourselves, for instance, by our job, then all of a sudden we may think, or either we have a good job or not a good job, and then we start comparing ourselves to others, right? We start comparing ourselves to others. I do it all the time, right? I mean, you meet someone that all of a sudden now you discover what they do and you're like, whoa, wow, why are you talking to me kind of thing? Um, it's, it's a very real thing. And so that's why we are taking this time because it is so important for us to learn about who we are in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as we take a look, as we continue in this series, I want to take a look at another I am statement. And it's this, I am God's child. I am God's child. Now, a couple of weeks ago, when I talked about, um, I think I, I, the last one I gave was, I am free. Um, and I shared a little bit that perhaps out of almost any of the I am statements, the I am free statement, it can be most likely be abused. Today, I think in this statement, I am God's child, this statement might be for many the most, the hardest for us to embrace the hardest for us to embrace. Let me share a little bit why I think that. Perhaps the the reason why I think that, that it may be the hardest statement for us to embrace, is that maybe for many of us, we may have grown up under parents that may not have been the most modeled parents. We may have grown up in single family homes where, for instance, the father was not around. That was my experience. I grew up in a single family home. My dad was not around. I was raised largely by my mother. And so, uh, you know, those dynamics kind of come into play. And maybe as a result, there may be many of us 
Or you may know people who have a very strained relationship with their parents at times. It may be with their mother. It may be with their father. It may be with both of them. And so oftentimes, there are sometimes things that really make it difficult for people to accept God as father. God as father. One of the hardest things, and I'll just let you a little peek behind the curtain here at Summit Ridge. If you notice, when it comes to Mother's Day and Father's Day, we acknowledge our mothers and fathers, but more than that, we kind of spread the net way out wide. And that's intentional to include everyone because in some way, in some form, people have influence in some ways that can be like a mother or a father. For me, that was the case. I mean, my, my dad wasn't around, so I, I, I had other men who were in many ways father figures to me. And not only that, the reason why we, we kind of acknowledge it but don't spend a whole service on those things is because we understand that there may be people in our body who struggle with the fact of viewing God as a father because of maybe their own personal experience growing up with a parent who may not have been the kindest, the gentlest, may not even have been there in their growing up in their early years. And so this statement, I am God's child, may be in some ways a very hard identity to embrace. It's really interesting, the fifth commandment. Anybody know what the fifth commandment is in the scriptures? Yeah, honor your father and mother, right? How many of you have ever struggled with that commandment? Don't raise your hands. Raise your hands on the inside. Let's be true Anabaptists, shall we? Let's raise our hands on the inside, right? We're not Pentecostal here. No, just kidding. We can be. Um, and so sometimes is that, is that we kind of struggle with that. Do you know what is so interesting about that commandment? Is in many ways, I think of it as a bridge commandment. It is the fulcrum commandment. You know what a fulcrum is? It's the little piece in the center of a, of a seesaw. It's the balancing thing. It's that little centerpiece, that triangle piece in the center of a seesaw. And, and in many ways, the fifth commandment is the bridge between the first four commandments that are given, which all happen to do with our relationship with God, right? Don't take, you know, you shall have no other idols before me. You shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. All of those commandments right there. And the remaining commandments afterwards, okay, that deal with how we relate to each other. In other words, let me just say this real quick as, as, as those who may be parents here this morning, um, and it's this. If, if you've never thought about this, think about it hopefully in, in different ways. Your child's first introduction to who God is comes from you. Your, your child's first introduction to who God is comes from you. That's huge. If you want to know, by the way, I also share this as well. If you want an introduction to what government is like, your first introduction to government is from your parents about how they made decisions. Your first introduction, and by the way, a little side note, I always, get a, I always think this is funny. I hear people all the time, I just don't want to deal with politics. I don't want to deal with politics. Yeah, guess what? If there are people, there are politics. There are politics in families, right? You don't believe me? Watch the next time you tell your child no and watch what they do. They will go to your spouse and say, can I, that is politics. Politics is influencing polity. Politics is influencing how decisions are made. That's what politics is. We do it all the time. 
We do it all the time. Kids do it all. They figure out, okay, this is how the decisions are made. Ah, this is how I can influence that and get what I want out of it. That's politics. We learn this stuff in our families. We learn it in our families. But more importantly, parents, your child's first introduction to who God is comes from you. That's why, in many ways, that commandment is in there. Honor your father and mother. In fact, the penalty children, now this goes to the children, which they're not here wisely. If you disobey your parents, guess what the penalty was? Death. You took the child out and stoned them, right? I mean, that was the penalty. Why? Because disobeying your parents was akin to disobeying God. There was very little distinction between those two. A very fascinating thing. So the, the, the intricacy, the interwovenness, if you will, between child and parent is so strong, it's oftentimes very hard to separate, which is why it's understandable why people may struggle calling God their father. Because if their first introduction to who God is came from their parents, particularly even their father, and their father was absent, their father was abusive, their father was neglectful, their father was not around, whatever you want to add to it, no wonder at times people may struggle to try to embrace God as father. Are you with me? Does this make sense? Does this resonate maybe? Maybe this was your experience. I don't know. But I do know is that in some ways, you cannot separate this idea from parents and God. It is incredibly difficult. Who we view God as, oftentimes we replace, we see how our parents were, and we may not even realize it. We may not even realize it. So I think for many of us, it may be really hard for us to embrace this fact that we are God's child. We are God's child. This morning, as we work through this, as we kind of unpack this statement, there, by the way, are such a myriad of ways of going about this, to unpack this statement. I can only have one approach today. Otherwise, we'll be here for a long time. And then you'll want me to go away again, Um, which is fine. Um, But I want to take the approach today is what makes us God's child. The statement is true. You and I are God's children. You're God's child. I am God's child. Here's the question I want to tackle today. What makes us God's child? And to do that, to help us, I want us to take a look at Romans chapter 8. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn there. We're going to be looking at just a few verses this morning. Verses 14 through 17. Um, and so I want to look at these passage, these, these few verses today. Now, before I get there, I want to just share this. I shared this a couple weeks ago when I preached on this chapter. I want to share it again. Some theologians have called Romans 8 the most important chapter, not just in Romans, not just in the New Testament, but perhaps in the Bible altogether. Romans chapter 8. I can understand why they may think that this chapter we could spend so much time unpacking this chapter. It is just filled with unbelievable truth, theology, all about who we are, who God is. It is just beautiful. It is just beautiful. And remember, Paul is laying out the foundation of the gospel and specifically justification by faith, not by works. 
and, and all of this stuff. And he's doing this because the, the church in Rome has been going through some angst and some kind of struggles about understanding how we worship, who we are, all of these things, because you had Jews and you had Gentiles. And Jews were gone for a time because they were kicked out of Rome. And now they came back and they discovered the Gentiles had kind of made some changes to things that they were not happy about. Changes that were, that were to them at least, kind of maybe disrespectful or maybe, maybe even more to them, was absolutely wrong. Right? Have you ever encountered someone that believed things in worship were absolutely wrong? They say things like, worship should only be sung, we should only sing hymns in worship right? That's great. I'm not too sure it's right or wrong. I'm not too sure I find that in the scriptures that you can only sing hymns in worship, right? I mean, hymns, hymns are beautiful things, right? And if we're really, if we're really, really honest about the fact that hymns were created also in the context of how many songs are created today in context of the culture in which they were in, right? I've shared this before. I'll share it again. A mighty fortress of God. How many of you know that hymn? right? Martin Luther wrote that hymn. Do you know what the tune was that he wrote that hymn to? It was a drinking song, right? You could even sing it in the beat. A mighty fortress is our God. It, it just, you could almost go like that. It was a drinking song and he reworked it into a hymn. We think nothing of it. We think nothing of it. There, there are things that we may want to think that may be wrong when actuality they're just simply different and that's okay rarely are things right or wrong oftentimes they're just simply different that's all they are you may not like it that's okay but i understand you know you may not like it but that's okay you don't have to like it but it's not wrong just because one doesn't like it does that make sense right it's okay. You may, not, you may not like things that are being done in worship all the time. That's okay. As long as Jesus is being worshiped, that's the point. That's the point. It was interesting at the service I was at. I, I had never, it's been a long time since I've been to a bilingual service, but we were singing songs in both Spanish and English. And you know what? They weren't singing the songs right. Right? I mean, I'm just joking. They were just different, and it was beautiful. I wouldn't have sung it that way, but that's the way they sang it, and they were, we were worshiping Jesus. Amen. Amen. So here Paul is giving this stuff, and he's trying to help them center themselves back on Jesus Christ and everything that Jesus Christ came and did. And so in doing so, Paul comes to these verses, beginning in verse 14 of chapter 8, in which he begins to talk about who we are in Jesus Christ. And as we look at these three verses, or these four verses rather, I want to share with you that I think there are three things, as Paul shares in these four verses, that I think make us a child of God. Okay? That make us a child of God. And the first is this. I am adopted as God's child. I am adopted as God's child. This is the biggest one. What makes us a child of God is that we are adopted. Okay, let me read for you um, the first two verses, verses 14 and 15 of Romans chapter 8. This is what Paul writes. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, 
These are sons and daughters of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of what? Adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, unless you have been adopted, this may seem kind of foreign to us, right? And unless maybe you have adopted a child, this may seem kind of foreign to us a little bit. We may not fully understand the significance of what this means to actually be adopted. Let me just say this. Before this happened, all of us, in many ways, were a slave or serve as a slave or to be in bondage. In bondage to what? Well, in bondage to sin, absolutely. But also, in addition to that, the way we may have looked at God our father in the first place. We may have looked at God, our father, as someone who was a taskmaster, as someone who was always angry at us and waiting to smite us, as someone who maybe was just not involved in our lives at all, someone out there in the distance who had no relevancy in our lives whatsoever. Whatever it is, we may have been in bondage to our thinking based on maybe our experience from our own parents about who God was or is, and that may have impacted us negatively Now, and now all of a sudden we have this view of God that is not accurate. Just isn't accurate. So yes, in bondage to sin, but maybe also in bondage to the way we thought and look at God himself. We may be in bondage to that. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Here's the thing is that now as a result of the spirit, we are now have received the spirit of adoption, not the spirit of fear or slavery. That we are now adopted. Now, here's the thing about adoption. And by the way, I'm not too familiar with it, but I know many who have adopted and some who have been adopted. For instance, my uncle was adopted. My grandfather was adopted. Here's the thing. When it comes to adoption, who chooses who? Who chooses who? This is not a trick question, church. Come on now. The parent chooses the child right? The parent chooses the child. Now, the child can maybe say yes or no, depending upon their age, right? But a parent chooses the child. And imagine this, the child up until this point may have been abandoned, may have lost their parents, may not have any recollection of their parents. All they know is they don't have parents. And now someone comes along or someone comes along and says, I want you. I want you. I choose you to be my child. Church, brothers and sisters, understand this if nothing else. You are followers of Jesus, not because you chose him first, but what? He chose you first. Out of all, he said, I want you. I want you. Let's just let that sink in for a second. I think we're a little tired today. Maybe the heat's getting to us. I'm feeling a little sluggish here today. Come on now. I mean, I understand we're under heat warning, but the AC is working here. All right? You got good coffee, good snacks later. Let that sink in. You think you are here today because I chose to be here. Yes, that's partly, but no, no, no. That's secondary. The first part came first. 
Jesus chose you. I want you to be my daughter. I want you to be my son. I want you to be my child. That's how adoption works. Adoption works when the parents choose the child. This is no different. God chooses you and me. And I believe he chooses every single person he's ever created. What is, now, that's an interesting question, right? Does that mean that prior to this, that we are not children of God? Well, possibly. All of us are created in God's image. All of us are created in God's image. All right? All of us are image bearers of God himself. It is though, however, when we accept the fact that God has chosen us, that we become his children. The best way I could think about this is this. I have three children, wonderful children, right? Wonder, they didn't have a choice, but my wife and I did. But here's the thing. You all are not my children. That doesn't make you any less valuable. It just makes that fact that I chose them, they are my children. Until then, you, you, are, you are people, you are God's image bearers, but you're not my children until you say, yes, and I'm not offering. I can't take any more kids. The quiver is full, okay? The quiver is full. Um, but nonetheless, that, that's kind of how it is, is that until we say yes to the fact that God has chosen us, we are image bearers, we are his creation, but we are not quite yet his children. But think about this. Every single one of us, when we are born, are born apart from God himself. We know this because of sin, not by our own choice, but nonetheless, we suffer the consequences of a decision that was made even though we were not there when it was made. It's just the way it is. But when we choose to accept the fact and embrace the fact that we have been chosen by God to be his child, then we become his child. Does that make sense? Because he chose us. He chose us. And so here's the thing, is that every single one of us have been adopted. Now, in Roman times, adoption in many ways is in many ways how we view adoption today. When you are adopted into the family, you are part of the family. That's it. You bear the family name. You in many ways are entitled to the inheritance. All of those things. This was no different here. When we are adopted as children, it doesn't mean we are secondary. There are no grandchildren or great-grandchildren in the kingdom of God. There's only children. There are no second-class children, those who were born and those who were adopted. By the way, every single one of us were adopted. Every single, only Jesus was born as his child. Every single one of us were chosen and adopted. And here's the thing, is that as a result, we now, just because we are adopted versus born, doesn't make us any less of a child. We are entitled, I hesitate using that word, I know what that means, we, we, have, we have opportunities, we have the inheritance, all of the privileges that come with a child of God, we have that ourselves. And here's the biggest truth of this, is that we can call our father Abba. It's an Aramaic term, meaning simply daddy. This was a term that one who was a servant in a person's house never would have called the master. This was a term that was only reserved for the children to call their master, or in this case, the father of the house. Abba, father, daddy. Term of intimacy, and not simply a term of title. It was intimacy. In other words, we have a very valuable, personable relationship with each other. 
And because of that, I can call you daddy. Do you know, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I miss my kids calling me daddy, and I hesitate to say that because you know they're going to start calling me that if they hear this message. <laughs> Mommy and daddy. Yeah, it was so innocent to say those things. Remember, remember your, if, for those of you who have kids, you remember them saying that to you? Mommy and daddy. How, how just precious that was. I just loved it. I just, I... I, I make it no secret, I loved my kids when they were little. I still love my kids today. Don't get me wrong. I love my kids. Love, dearly love my kids. I love them as infants and as, as, as toddlers because they were just so cute to me. They were just so, and the way they spoke, and, and I have this thing on my phone, and it's pictures of them when they were babies, and it goes through the roll, and I just, oh, yes, I remember when that happened. I remember when this was going on, and, and just when they were learning to walk and learning to speak and watching. It was just so cute because they were so innocent, and everything was so new. Life was just, and it, just a completely new adventure every single day. Daddy and mommy is reserved for the most intimate connection between a parent and a child. And this is no different here between us and God. We can call him daddy because we have that intimate relationship with him. Because we have been adopted, chosen by him to be a part of his family. That, that is what perhaps makes us more his father or his, makes us more his children than anything else is the fact that we have been adopted. He chose us, church. He chose us. Never forget that. Never forget that. And in case we do, here's number two. I am affirmed as God's child because we may forget it. Here's what Paul writes in verse 16 of Romans chapter eight. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. That we are children of God. In other words, Paul, in some ways, I think, recognizes the fact that we might actually forget the fact that we are children of God. There might be things that happen to us. We might actually be disobedient children. Yes, it happens. Even as adults, we can be disobedient to God our Father. Let me just ask you a question, church, for those of you who are parents. If your children are disobedient, do you disown them? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> Probably not. It doesn't make them any less of your children just because they're disobedient. The same is true for us. Our father knows we're going to be disobedient, and yet he still chooses to love us. We may be problem children at times, but we're still his children. We are still his children. That's important to remember. And there may be times as a result, we may forget or we may think there's no way I can be God's child. And just in that case, Paul writes that the spirit himself, the spirit who gives us adoption is the same spirit who says, you're still God's child. You're still his son. You're still his daughter. You're still his child. You're still his child. First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians, rather. Uh, one, chapter 1, verses 21 through 22 says this. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. I love that. Let me read for you the message paraphrase of this same passage, because I think how it's written there is also just beautiful and even more poignant. It says this. God affirms us. Firms us as what? Sons and daughters. Making us a sure thing in Christ. Putting his yes within us. 
His yes, yes, you are my child. Yes, you are dearly loved. Yes, I am with you. Yes, yes, yes. By his spirit has stamped us with his eternal pledge. I will never abandon you, nor will I forsake you. I will never, ever, ever stop being your father. A sure beginning of what he is destined to complete. And what is that destined to complete? It's a beautiful thing. To fully realize who we are as his children when we stand in his presence. I love the fact that the spirit that gives us the spirit of adoption also reaffirms to us every single time, you're still his child. That will never change. That will never go away. It's never going to stop. God will always be your father. He will never leave you nor will he forsake you. You may have had that experience with a parent in your life. That's not going to be your experience with me. That will not be your experience with me. I am going to love you. I am going to be with you. I am never going to abandon you ever, 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 ever. Even when death happens, I will never abandon you because guess what? Death is temporary. Life is eternal. Life is eternal. Here's the third one. Beautiful first two points, right? This one is the third one. It's probably the hardest one. I'm adopted as God's child as the first one. I'm affirmed as God's child as the second one. Third one is this, and this is why we need this affirmation. I face adversity as God's child. I face adversity as God's child. Verse 17. And if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Get that. Yes, I get I get eternal life as Christ has. I get to be with God as Jesus is with him. If indeed, uh-oh, here's the thing. This is how it happens. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Dan. I, I, like, the, I like the eternal life and being in God's presence part of it, but I don't want to have to go through suffering to get there. Sorry, it's going to happen. If we are truly followers of Christ and God's children, then it is no surprise that as Christ suffered, that we will also suffer, that we will face adversity. If for no other reason in that we are followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said it. If the world hates me, guess what, church? It's going to hate you. It's going to hate you. We will face adversity. And of all the myriad of reasons of why we as Christians, as children of God, and by the way, I understand the reasoning where people, and myself, I have said it at times, if I am God's child, why do I have to suffer? If I am God's child, why do I have to go through all of these things? If I am God's child, why, why, why do I have to go through this? And perhaps out of the myriad of answers, and there are many answers, maybe one possible answer is the fact that because he is forming us into the likeness of his son. The reason why we may face adversity, the reason why we may face pain, the reason why we may face hardship is because there are times that he is using those opportunities to form and shape us more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Into Jesus Christ. And that isn't easy. In other words, sometimes adversity, sometimes pain 
isn't a rejection of us as children of God. It's an affirmation of the fact that, yes, I'm facing adversity. God, what is it that you want to teach me? How is it that you want me to live? And more importantly, how is it that you want me to be? Sometimes, church, I think we are too easy to say, the reason why I'm going through this is God hates me. God is punishing me. Maybe, but perhaps more so, it's the fact that he is trying to, in many ways, continue to form you as his child, to raise you in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Right? I am, I don't know about you, but I went through some hard times as a child. How many of you got chicken pox as a child? I hated it. I hate it, right? In those days, right, you didn't get a vaccine for it. You found out your neighbor had chicken pox. Your mom, dad took you right over. Get sick. Get sick right now. Right? Right? I mean, you remember that? You have chicken pox gatherings. We didn't call it that. I mean, it's pain. How many of you remember teething? Probably not. That's painful. Losing those baby teeth and getting those adult teeth in. How many of you remember growing pains? Right? That you're, that you're all of a sudden you shot up quickly at one point and now nothing fit, right? Your shoes were all of a sudden small and your jeans were high waters now that, that kind of came up to your ankles, right? In the 80s, right? When I grew up, we would just roll our jeans up, right? I mean, I mean stuff like that. Even growing up, there are times that we, how many of you remember your, your middle school years? The acne right? I mean, come on. It's it's awkward. It's in some ways painful. All of that kind of stuff. Growing up can be hard. It can be, this is no different in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's the problem that maybe is different. We attribute our age to the fact that we think we should be over this by now. God, I'm 60 years old. I shouldn't be facing this stuff anymore. Oh, you still have a lot of growing up to do. You still have a lot of growing up to do. It's okay. We face adversity as God's child. And that may be intentional because God is still raising us. And that's not always easy. Those of you who are parents, you know it's not always easy. Raising children. By the way, they never stop being children. And you never stop being their parents. Ever. Ever. And that's okay. Same thing here. God never stops being our father and we never stop being his child. I love what, and here's the purpose, the vision of why we may go through this. First John chapter three, verses one through two says this. It offers this perspective of why in some ways we face adversity. See how great a love the father has given us that we would be called children of God. And in fact, we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We still haven't seen fully who we are as a result of being his child. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him. That is Jesus, because we will see him just as he is. Just as he is. We are still being raised, brothers and sisters. We have not yet arrived. And we won't yet. And so I realize that this is hard, but God is still raising us. 
And there are still things we have to learn. There are still some fruit of the Spirit we may need in our lives that He wants to instill in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of these things that He wants to instill in us. And it's hard. But brothers and sisters, understand this. The whole purpose of that at times is to make us more